0: good morning. It is great to be with each of you here today. And as you see up there, this is not a real picture. It looks like an artist's drawing, but it is a, a reminder of something close to 10 years ago. My father and I, we went on something called a liveaboard where you go, we went down to Honduras and you stay on a boat and you stay on this boat for about seven days and you do scuba diving uh four maybe five times a day uh just you you get up you eat you scuba dive you sleep and that's that's uh, pretty much it now one of the things that you do is they do night dives and that sounds a little bit uh creepy but night dives are pretty interesting they're they're fun they you get to see all sorts of these these bio uh creatures down there and so uh the hardest thing about a night dive is to make sure that you find your way home, right? You want to get back. And so they tell you there are two lights that you can look for in the sky, or not in the sky, in the, in the water. You're, you're on, and so there's one light, and that's the boat. And there's things down at the bottom of the boat, and it kind of flashes, and you know that's the light that you want to get, go to, to go home. And then there's another light, if you see up there, that's the moon. That's the light that uh, shines in the darkness. And so if if you've done all your exploring underwater and you're ready to go back, you can look up and you can see one of those two lights. Now, if you go and follow the moon's light, guess what? You'll never get there. You cannot swim to the moon. You won't get where you want to go. But if you follow the light to the boat, you can make your way back to the boat. And then at the boat there's this uh, it, it was it, this there was a private chef there that fixed this incredible meal, and so you have a banquet with all of your friends when you get back from the boat, or get back to the boat, get back home. And when I think about that, I think about following the light. And making sure that we follow the right light in this world. And the way we, we have about three different ways that we can follow the light, or I guess we could even choose not to follow the light. When you're scuba diving, you go down and it can be dark and you can trust your own self without following any light. And you can, you don't know what's upside down and what's right side up. And you could just swim off into the abyss and go nowhere. And maybe that's how we are in life. We choose to follow our own selves. We make our own selves great. And we just swim off into the abyss and we'll never get home. We'll never get to that great banquet at home. Or we can follow the light that the world that guides the world, right? We follow the moon's light. And we try to reach out and try to get try to feel fill something in our in our hearts with all the things of this world. With all of our possessions, and we'll never reach it. We'll never be able to fill ourselves with that. Well, we can do what you should do and follow the light that leads home, the light that leads to the ship, the light that leads to the great banquet. And this is where we are in the scriptures it's God telling us to follow the light. Matter of fact, we we read about that as we studied the book of John and we remember Jesus telling us that I am the light of the world. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. We talked about about Jesus coming uh, on on Christmas Day and, and we talked about how Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says that as the temple is, is lighting these big Hanukkah candles, right? These menorahs. And he's saying, I'm the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. And then God physically creates Jesus to be light in one incident. In the book of Luke, chapter 9, you see a story called the Transfiguration, where Jesus goes up on a mountain with a few of his close disciples. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it says, About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So Jesus says, I am the light. And now God is trying to show Jesus' disciples Who the true light is. And his appearance is literally turning as bright as a flash of lightning. And then as he's standing there, two others go with him or or show up with him. They appear out of nowhere. It's Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah are there for briefly. And then they're gone. And I think what we see here is Moses and Elijah. They show up on the scene because they're to represent a couple of things. Moses represents the law of God, the holy scriptures that we follow. And Elijah represents all the prophets that led to the promise of God. But they're gone. And all of a sudden, it's just Jesus standing with his disciples. And then in verse 35, it says, a voice came from a cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. God speaks to them after they see him shine as a light and there and he's and he's the only one left. No longer is Moses there, no longer is Elijah there, it's just Jesus. And it isn't saying that the law isn't important or that the prophecies that led to the promise aren't important. What is saying is all these things, these these scriptures, the Old Testament Everything that we read from the word of God points to who? Jesus Christ, the light that we follow in this world. All these prophecies are about following Jesus Christ and having a life in him. This is what Jesus is showing his His disciples. This is what our God is showing Jesus' disciples. And this is what he's showing us today. That the true light, the great light in this world that we're supposed to follow, that we're supposed to listen to, is Jesus Christ. All of these words that we read in scripture point to him. These prophecies over and over and over again that talk about the promise that we have in Christ is all about Jesus. And so this is a miraculous thing that the disciples get to experience. And they're coming down from the mountain and they've seen this great thing. And they've been told by God himself to listen to their son, to listen to to his son, Jesus. In verse 37, it says, then the next day they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him, a man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and suddenly he screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the, at the mouth. Scarce I, It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. So we see this picture of a father as bringing his son to Jesus, his son who is demon-possessed, his son that is struggling with with this, uh, with this thing that we probably don't really understand. I think there's a difference in demon possession then and now. I think before Christ, Satan had the, had the right to go into people and take over their lives. Now sometimes we allow Satan to come into our lives and destroy us through all sorts of temptations, all sorts of addictions. But the disciples couldn't heal this child. And we wonder, why couldn't they heal this child? Well, maybe if someone came to you with a demon-possessed person, you probably would say, I can't do that either, right? Except earlier in this chapter, Jesus had already sent his disciples out into the world. He sent them out, and his disciples were healing people. And they were casting out demons. They were proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and they were doing all this. Well, what follows here and what you'll see in other books that tell this story in maybe a little bit different way, they didn't have the faith or maybe their problem was they were putting their faith in themselves and their own greatness and not putting their faith in In Jesus Christ and what Jesus could do. And that's why Jesus answers the man and and speaks to his disciples in a way that seems a little strange for how Jesus would respond when someone comes to him to be healed. In verse 41 it says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Why was Jesus so upset about a healing? I think it's because he just had this miraculous moment with the apostles. They're called to listen to Jesus. They're called to put their faith in him to see that he is the great light. And I think something's going on in their lives that they're still thinking about how great they are. And we'll see that as we go throughout this chapter of, of Luke. The disciples. They love Jesus. But they also love themselves. A whole lot more. And the love for themselves. And their and how they think that they're, all, they're, they're the great ones. Starts to affect their faith. And when Jesus calls it. A perverse generation. It also could be translated into twisted. Or a generation that's going the wrong direction. And the problem with the disciples at this time. Is they're not going the right direction. They're following what the world wants. They're, they're chasing after the moon. They're chasing after their own greatness. All the many things that they must have done earlier in this chapter. Days before. They're wondering how great they are. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 43. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what he meant. One of the things that the disciples liked about Jesus was he was quite popular. He comes down from a mountain and a crowd comes to see him. He heals people, He does all these things that are great, and the people actually want to make him their king. And Jesus knows that while he'd be the greatest king to ever be in this world, he had a mission. And his mission wasn't to just come and and be a great king, a great ruler. His mission was to come and die for our sins. Because man and woman have broken the law of God. And Jesus came to reconcile us. He came to make us right with God once again through his sacrifice. And he tries to emphasize that to his apostles. That the Son of Man is going to be taken into the the hands of angry humans. That he's going to be killed. That this popularity is going to go away. The disciples didn't understand what he meant. Maybe they didn't want to understand because it meant they were going to lose some of their greatness. And that's why it says in verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you. It is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. And so as they're continuing to argue about how great they were, even though they had just failed, They couldn't get it right in their head, and Jesus grabs a child and says, The person that welcomes this person, the person that humbles himself before the most vulnerable, that's the greatest. The person that makes themselves the least, becomes a servant, that's the greatest. And when we think about children, children are so vulnerable. And they look up to their parents so often as being so big and so great. I like to talk strange to kids sometimes just because I like seeing the little kids' reactions. And sometimes I'll do that with old Cora Wood. <laughs> and Cora, sometimes she, sometimes she likes me, thinks it's funny, and then sometimes she's scared of me. And what she does, she hides behind Susan because she thinks Susan's so big. Susan you're just right no. <laughs> big we think of our parents as big and I remember as a kid I was talking with my neighbor down the street William Cochran and we were arguing about whose dad was bigger you've seen my dad <laughs> he stands five foot six on a good day <laughs> but in my heart my dad was big as could be. Now, he's also a Marine, and I'm sure he could whip old William's dad, but he probably wasn't as big as William's dad. We think about, as children, how big our parents are. Really, that's what God wants us to bask in. Not the greatness of ourselves, but the greatness of our Father the greatness of our lord that's what the kids realize the kids realize that it's it's jesus that's the great one and we're called as his disciples to go out and show how great our god is not how great we are so did this land with the disciples did they did they get it i don't think so Because they're still concerned with everyone outside of them. They're still concerned with greatness. That's why in verse 51 it says, As time approached for him to be taken to heaven, or excuse me, it says in verse 49, it says, Master, said John, We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he is not one of us. Jesus just talks to him about greatness and how becoming less is more important. And John goes to Jesus and says, we saw someone trying to drive out demons in your name, and we stopped them because he's not one of us. think probably here, John's maybe feeling a little self-conscious that he couldn't drive out this demon earlier for this child. And someone else that's not even part of this group is doing great things. What's Jesus' response? Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. What an incredible thing that Jesus just told him that people that are on the outside, maybe they aren't fully connected to Jesus, but they're not against us. They're not against the message. And I think what we need to do as a church is look at those on the outside, those that are not in these four walls here. Those that might believe in Jesus Christ, those that Might even just believe in the goodness of man and a good, moral, upright living. And we need to look at those people, not just go out and condemn them, but to realize, as Jesus is saying here, whoever's not for you or is not against you is for you. And so what's our job is to go out and what we've been talking about over the last year is we're called to reach and teach those folks. Reach out to those that believe in Jesus Christ but maybe aren't connected to him fully. Reach out to those that believe in the goodness of this world and then show them where this goodness comes from. That's what we're called to do is reach and teach. Even when they're outside of these walls what about whenever it's hard? We're not just dealing with people that are a little bit different than us, that might believe a little bit differently than us, but people that are fully against us. People that would be our enemies. This whole time, Jesus has this mission. And the mission is to go to to the cross. The mission is to save this world from sin and death, so they might have everlasting life. And so in verse 51, it says, At that time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of, of himself, who went into to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I like how it says in here that Jesus has his face resolutely set for Jerusalem. He's on a mission. And his mission is to bring as many people with him to eternity. His mission is to bring as many people with him that were willing to accept him in their life, or willing to die themselves and give their lives to Jesus Christ He wants everyone to be at this great banquet, even those that hate him. And we've talked about this multiple times, but the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Their prejudice against each other had very bloody and and horrific actions over and over and over again. But Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, wanted to let them know that they had a part in this great feast in heaven with him. He wanted them to be able to accept it. He wanted them to be able to connect with him. But they didn't want him. And so what was the response of the disciples? They said when the disciples, James and John, saw this, when when they saw that The Samaritans didn't want them, didn't want their Lord and Savior. They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. When people turn against our God, when people blaspheme our Lord when they don't look at the sacrifice of Jesus and they just laugh it off or they treat it like it's nothing a lot of times as a Christian we almost want to even we want to be like how the disciples said God you should just wipe them off the face of the earth or they're going to get what's coming to them right What's Jesus do? Tells the disciples, quit thinking that way. Tells his disciples to live a life of love and continue to reach out. And what does he eventually do? He, he doesn't go to that village, but he also doesn't give up. And he goes to another village, another place in Samaria. And we see the stories of him going over to the Samaritan villages with when we talked about Luke, uh, John chapter 4. He talks to the Samaritan woman at a well and then the the people in that Samaria in Samaria, they welcome him. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to keep on trying. He wants us uh, he wants us to reach out. To as many as we can. So that we can. Feast with them in heaven one day. This whole message of Luke chapter 9 is a message of Jesus and how he's resolute. How he has his face set towards Jerusalem, his face set to the cross so that he can save this world. He's making himself a servant to us so that we can be with him forever. And then his disciples' response of glorifying themselves. And luckily they get the message eventually and hopefully that's our message today is we need to get that message that we need to humble ourselves and look for the outsiders. Maybe we need to look around and look for the vulnerable like the children. The poor, the needy, those who need the help of a savior. We need to reach out to them. And then those that... that maybe just aren't in these, in these four walls. We need to go and reach out to this neighborhood. Those that have good hearts but aren't connected to Jesus, we need to reach out to them and teach them the good news. And then even the hard part of reaching out to our enemy. Those that we have uh, been pinned against us. We're called not to just discard them, but to reach out to them and connect them with Jesus Christ. This message of Luke is how we react to the outsiders and how Jesus had a heart for those that are outside of eternity with him, and he wanted to bring them in, and he wants us to follow in that his footsteps, follow that light, and so over the next few weeks as we continue this series, I want you to think about someone that's on the outside. Someone in your life, maybe, maybe you're close to them, maybe you're not all that close to them, but someone that you want to reach for Jesus Christ. Someone you want to connect with them. Maybe it's someone that's vulnerable, someone that, 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 that just needs your help. How are you going to connect with them? Maybe it's someone that's in your neighborhood or in your family that has a good moral life, but they just need to be connected to Jesus. How are you going to connect with them? And maybe it's someone that you struggle with, but you know they need to be connected to Christ. Reach out to the outsider. And hopefully as we go throughout this series, we're going to to think about this person more and more. And if you don't have someone in mind, I ask you to pray for God, to send you someone in your mind that you can reach out to. And eventually, we're going to do what we've done uh, for several years, and we're going to have a nice, probably right after right after Easter time, uh, a time where we can welcome in friends and welcome in the neighborhood, and hopefully, you can bring them before then, but hopefully that gives you a point to bring someone to Christ. Maybe you can bring them here and we can help reach and teach them. If You need to be connected to Jesus Christ. If you're struggling and and how you need to reach out and you need to humble yourself and not see your greatness, but reach out to, to others. But first you need to reach out to God yourself and make him Lord of your life. You can be baptized into his name. Just as Jesus Went to the grave and was raised, you can be baptized into these waters and be raised with Jesus. Or maybe you need prayers of the church to reach out to others. Have that heart that's more humble. We'll pray for you as well. Whatever you need, please come. Please stand. All to Jesus.